This is Chapter 164 of the WCBS Author Talks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, we find out how classic westerns inspired the newest suspense novel from best-selling author Tana French. Then we hear more about a new series by Ian K. Smith starring a Chicago cop who refuses to participate in a shooting cover-up. A stranger moves into a rural town to get away from his troubles only to encounter the worries he thought he left behind. You're forgiven if you think I'm talking about a classic Western. I'm actually describing the latest suspense novel from Tana French, who did in fact draw inspiration from those classic Westerns and decided to play with the genre in her new book, The Searcher. She tells us more about it. It is about a Chicago detective called Cal, who's taken early retirement um, because of things that have gone wrong, both in his marriage, in his job, in his relationship with his daughter. He's been left feeling very sort of shaken up about who he is within all this. So he buys himself a little ramshackle cottage in the west of Ireland and tries to get away from it all. But a local kid uh, keeps bugging Cal to investigate the disappearance of his 19-year-old brother. And Cal, who has no intention of doing it, somehow finds himself dragged in and finding out a lot more about that little, bucolic little village than he ever wanted to know. So the book is a, a bit of a departure from your past thrillers. It's not set in Dublin. And it also features, you know, Cal's your first American protagonist. What inspired you to go into this different direction? Uh, well, I've been reading a lot of Westerns around the time when I came up with the idea and thinking that the setting has a lot in common with the West of Ireland. Like there's this harsh country that demands a lot of physical and mental toughness from people. And there's this sense that you're so far from the centers of power that you have to kind of set up your own rules and enforce them yourself if you want your society to work. So I was thinking about taking some of those Western tropes to the West of Ireland and seeing how they worked. And one of the ones I really liked was The Stranger in Town. You know how The Stranger in Town in the Westerns, he rolls into the saloon and you know things are going to change around him. Maybe he's going to shoot the corrupt sheriff or maybe he's going to get shot, but he's going to be a disruptor, a catalyst. Things are going to shift when he comes in. So I liked the idea of having a stranger in town. And Ireland being Ireland, that meant he could not be Irish. Because even if he was from across the country from this little village and he had never been there before, there would be a connection. Like his dad would play poker with a guy from the village or he would have gone out with a girl whose aunt lived there. And within an hour, the village would have found out about it and they would have placed him. If I wanted an outsider outsider, he had to be from another country. And so I took a guy from the U.S. And even then, like, he couldn't be from Boston or New York because there'd be a connection to Ireland somewhere. Like, the Irish get everywhere. I love so, that you say that. <laughs> <laughs> We're everywhere. <laughs> a lot of Westerns deal with morality of the characters, you know, right and wrong. Mm. It's not black and white. There's a fuzzy gray area. There's a struggle with it. And in an in this book, Cal, you know, he's really dealing with his own moral codes and he's teaching this kid too. you know, there's a difference between, you say, manners and being moral. Yes, absolutely. For, the, for him, this is the heart of things. And it is because exactly Westerns are very into the fact that 
they're very matter of fact about the complexity of morality. You know, they've always got people trying to do right in situations where that isn't an option or that, you know, mostly good people do bad things and vice versa. And that it can be really hard to cope with that. And Westerns don't try to gloss over that complexity or, or deny it or explain it away. They just lay it out. So that ended up being pretty central. Cal has been left feeling like somehow he's lost touch with his moral code. And for him, you know, he draws a big distinction, as you say, between manners, which are just, you know, treating people well, but their manners can, can shift. If somebody's awful to you, maybe you're not polite to them. But morals are the things that you never leave behind, no matter what. Like if you see the worst person in the world in a burning car, you still pull him out because that's your moral code. And he's always believed that it's pretty straightforward. If you treat people right and get stuff done, you're doing fine. But somehow between his job and his marriage, he's been left feeling like it, it, it's more complicated and he's lost hold of it. He's always tried very hard to be a good man and he's no longer sure that he counts as one. And he's not quite sure how that happened along the way. So he's hoping that in this little village, things will be simpler and he'll be able to find his feet within his own morals again. But, of course, you know, it's a Western. Morality is complex. It doesn't quite work out that way. You know, I don't want to give too much away, but I do want to touch on, you know, why he's questioning his morals. It's because of an incident that happened at work in Chicago. And it's, you know, a part of the the broader issue we're struggling in the U.S. right now, which is, you know, police violence. And I've read that, you know, that's something you were reluctant to tackle in a book. And yet you did it anyway. Can you tell us why? Well... It became obvious that he had to be dealing with a big moral crisis where he felt like he somehow had lost hold of that distinction between right and wrong, or he somehow was in a situation that made it impossible for him to act in a way that he thought was right. He no longer knew how to do it. There's a line in the book where he says he's realized that one or the other of them, him or the job, can't be trusted. And that's when he leaves. And if you're going to deal with that, it kind of has, with a detective, an American detective, it kind of has to be to do with the issue of police brutality. Because that is, in fact, a point where I think it can be very hard to tell whether it's just you who are doing the wrong thing or whether the system has become so distorted that it's becoming more and more impossible to be a good man within it. Now, I was reluctant because I'm living over here in Ireland where, well, of course, every country has has problems with police brutality, has problems with racism. They're very different. They're coming from a very different place. Just to take the most obvious example, our police officers don't have guns. So it's just an entirely different dynamic, the, the issue of police brutality. The last time the police killed anyone in Ireland was, I think, about 10 years ago. And it was two guys, white guys, who were in the middle of an armed robbery. So it's, we've got an entirely different situation. And it felt like it would be very cheeky for me to center too much of a book around these American issues when I'm way over here and don't have much of a right to be going, oh, well, this is how you guys do it over there, and I'm going to tell you how it should be done or what's wrong with it. feels a bit much. But at the same time, if you're going to write an American detective who is struggling as having a moral crisis over his job, you can't ignore where the job itself is having a moral crisis right now. I love that this American detective from, you know, a moderately big city decides, 
I'm going to a small town because, you know, nobody will know me there. Everybody will leave me alone because there aren't a lot of people. And it really doesn't turn out that way because small towns, everybody knows your business. Oh, yeah. Small towns, everybody's all up in your business. But also in small towns, what he's kind of lost hold of or didn't know is that what you do has so much more of an effect. In a big city, it's quite easy for you to live your life without that affecting other people, particularly. As long as you, you know, don't turn your music up too loud, you're probably not having that much of an effect on your neighbors unless you choose to. Whereas there's a bit where one of his neighbors, Lena, explains to him that things like um, the the fact that a load of young girls and young women in the village go off to the city to get good jobs has affected the whole shape of the village because then the men who are staying around to look after the family farm have nobody to marry and then they turn into old bachelors and the whole tone of the place shifts. So your individual actions affect the whole community in a way that he's not really used to and didn't particularly bargain for and he finds himself in this spot where his actions are going to have an effect on the whole community. I love the characters in in the village that you've created. I mean, it, you know, it's not fair to call them busybodies because they're, <laughs> they, they're really just, you know, he's an outsider and they want to know what he's doing there. And, you know, they got bets on how long he stays. And yeah. I, I just I just find that whole dynamic. They're, they're like a, a they're individual characters, but they're one big character uh, um, amongst themselves. Oh, thank you. That's a lovely way of putting it, that the village does in itself become a character and a much more complicated one, I think, than Cal bargained for. Because again, what he was looking for was simplicity. And I think we all kind of do want to to find some simplicity in our lives occasionally. Like we were talking about the moral stuff. There's always an urge to simplify, to go, you know, I don't know, this person likes a vile tweet on Twitter, so there must be an evil person, end of story. Or this person regularly does awful things to people, but he says he's religious, so he must be a good person, end of story. We like simplicity. We're drawn to simplicity. And we like to simplify people. And I think Cal wants to simplify the village as if it were a character and go, um, this is an easily pinned down, easily describable world. And then gradually, as if he was getting to know another character, finds out that it has its complexities and its past and its damage. So that's a really lovely way of thinking about it. The village is a character. So now that you've tackled Westerns, is there another genre you want to put your own spin on? Uh, I don't know. I like playing. I definitely like playing with genre boundaries. And I've been reading bits and pieces of kind of, you know, Shirley Jackson, that sort of thing, bits of folk horror. I don't know about straight away, but at some point I'd love to see what happens when you mix that up with mystery, how those two go together. And have you been able to write during the pandemic or has it all just been too much for you? (laughs) Well, I got lucky. I'd handed this in like two weeks before everything went boom. So it's all been editing since then. I'm not as far on as I should be because I think, like all of us, the whole world, our bandwidth is used up by trying to just deal with things on a day-to-day basis. We don't have any, like, subconscious left. It's just a smoking crater at this point. And I'm realizing just how much we need a certain amount of spare bandwidth and a certain amount of subconscious available to just bounce ideas around for a new book and just come up with anything creative. So I'm not where I should be, but I have germs of an idea, and we'll see see where it goes. It may be a bit slower, but it'll get there in the end. 
I feel like we all need a, a project to work on, kind of how uh, Cal with the house and and just spend yeah. our time stripping wallpaper and and spending time fixing up an old desk. Yeah, do you know what? I think that's one of the things that's it's in the book, and I think it's come out of the pandemic. Is the value of concrete tasks because for a lot of us, we spend our days on very abstract stuff. I mean, I make stuff up for a living. How much more abstract <laughs> can you get? But I think with the the lockdown, we were all doing stuff like baking bread and clearing out the attic and we were doing much more concrete things and I think the value of that's become really apparent over the last few months. And I think there's also value that we've learned in having a great book that can help us escape for a little while and I would say that The Searcher lands squarely in that category. Thank you so much. Yeah, God knows we've all needed good books over the last while. So we've been speaking with Tana French, the new book, The Searcher. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Chicago serves as the backdrop for the newest crime fiction series from Ian K. Smith. If that name sounds familiar, it's probably because you might know him better for his best-selling diet and fitness books, as well as frequent TV appearances, including as the new solo host of The Doctors. We chatted with him about The Unspoken and the timely topics his new book touches on. This is the first book in a new crime series. What inspired your tale of a black Chicago police officer turned private investigator? Well, I actually spent a lot of time training uh, some of the police officers around the city. I did a campaign with them a few years ago where uh, I worked out with them, gave them nutritional advice. So I actually formed some really close relationships uh, and, and, and got intrigued by their work. What do they do? What kind of cases do they see? What does it look like on the other side? So I had this, you know, natural intrigue in the life of a detective. And, and I'm already a, someone who loves mysteries. So now I got to see a real detective work. I did ride-alongs with them uh, when they went out on calls. And so I really wanted to create, from a fictional and creative standpoint, a character that was kind of a compilation of the people that I had met in the department. And tell us a little bit about the story itself. The idea is that Ash Kane, who is the private investigator, the main character, is a former detective for CPD. Uh, He decides not to participate in a cover-up, and so he leaves under a cloud, but he gets a very significant settlement to leave, which gives him financial independence to, to take only select cases around the city as a private investigator. So he's not motivated by money. He's motivated by the desire to make sure that justice is served. Um, And the first case is the case of a missing, wealthy North Shore uh, girl uh, whose mother comes down to his office in the South Loop of Chicago and says, I want you to help me find my missing daughter. And the case begins. It's really interesting to be talking to you about this book during this time because the themes of racism, racial injustice, class wars, black, white really runs throughout the book. And we're really in this, you know, crazy time in 2020. There's this turning point. There are a lot of people talking about that. 
Did you really think about that when you were writing this or you were basically, you know, you're just writing how it is? Um, I didn't think about it at all. I mean, I, I wrote this book um, way before 2020, so it's unbelievable that the time that the book is coming out, uh, where we are in the country as far as all the injustice and the unrest and the protest, this was not, you know, this was not on the horizon when I wrote this book. What was there was the uh, killing of Laquan uh, uh in Chicago, and he was an unarmed African-American man who was shot walking away from police officers. And there was body cam footage um, that had been suppressed for almost a year or more, and no one really knew about it. No one had known about this, uh, this shooting until someone leaked the body cam footage, and then the rest of the world knew about it. And when that happened, I said to myself, my goodness, thank goodness there's body cam footage. Um, thank goodness we have, uh, you know, cameras on our cell phones, unlike when we had the flip phones, because who would have known about this? And so that really kind of sparked this intrigue in me about, like, what would have happened if, you know, we had not had access to this video. And so Ash Kane, who's the private investigator, he leaves because he won't participate in the cover-up of a bad shooting, as they call it, in police parlance. You know, Ash has some really interesting conversations with his father. And, you know, this idea that there's no way for people not to see color comes up a couple of times in the book. Where do you land on on that argument or uh, on that saying? Well, you know, I think that there are a lot of uh, sociological observations in the book. I mean, it's not the main driving force of the book. Uh, the main driving force is Ash Kane, who's a man of, you know, determined to find justice, is going to find this missing girl. Um, but I think that the underlying sociological kind of observations are important. It gives the story texture, and it gives it a reality. And I think that what we have learned in 2020 is that despite the fact that we were in this kind of uh, faux euphoria that America had gotten beyond race and color, and these types of things uh, with the election of an African-American president, what we have come back to is the harsh reality um, that a lot of these uh, racial uh, prejudices and feelings, uh, not just personal but institutional racism, uh, has always been here, has been hiding and lurking. Uh, And I think 2020 has really just uncovered it. It just removed, you know, it's like removing the scab of a wound that hasn't healed. Um, And I think that's what we're seeing here is that, you know, color still matters in this country, sadly, uh, and people have perceptions based on color. Uh, And in this series, I don't want to shy away from it, but I want people to understand what the realities are for different people in the country and maybe, maybe offer some hope that there are good people in the world um, that don't care about the color. They care about what's right and what's wrong. So Ash is a good guy with a dark side. And I know you said at the top of this interview that he's kind of based on a uh, on cops that you got to know at Chicago PD. I do hope there's one facet of his personality that is totally fictitious and made up. <laughs> yes. So the dark side of Ash Kane is totally fictitious. And I don't want to give too much away uh, to the readers. But the idea is this dark side. We say dark. I'm going to put dark in quotes. It's not that he's dark like a bad guy. It's, he's dark in the sense that he acts on what all of us at some point have thought 
um, when we think that someone gets off lightly, when, you know, justice isn't served and we all know that the person has done the wrong, um, but they, you know, the justice system gives them a light tap on the wrist. And we've all had thoughts about what we would like to do if we saw that person in the street. And so I'll leave it there, but, but that is completely fictitious. It's my creation. I've not met any police officers that have that dark side. And I imagine that side of his personality might get him into some trouble in future books. Yeah, I mean, the idea is, you know, here's this guy, you know, he's an imperfect hero, right? I mean, he looks great on paper, but, you know, he has romantic issues. He has some issues growing up, some baggage, some things that happened to him. He doesn't, his relationship with his father is strained. So he's constantly trying to analyze and repair that, and he gets frustrated by it. Uh, and the other part of it is that, you know, he has this thing about, you know, people getting away with, with doing bad things. He just can't let it happen, even when he puts himself in jeopardy or uh, even when someone says, let it go, he just can't stop. He, he can't let it go. He's just got to keep going. Uh, the other thing about this book that struck me is how big of a foodie you've made, Ash. And it's <laughs> ironic considering, you know, you're known for writing more than one diet book. You're the fitness guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of, I don't, I don't want to call it like a cop out on my part. But it's kind of easy uh, for writers to load up characteristics and attributes to their characters about things from their personal life or things that they know very well. It's, it's easy. Uh, and so, yeah, I love food. I've written about food for years. Uh, Chicago is a great food town. Um, and so I really wanted to put food in there because I think that people look at always at the animate characters, the people, and really characters can be also inanimate. And I think that the culinary scene of Chicago is a character. I think Chicago as a city is a character in the book. All these places are geographically correct. These are places that Chicagoans go and eat. They all have stories that Chicago is full of stories. And so I really wanted to make sure that I gave that texture to the book. And book calories don't count, right? But not at all, because because Ash will be consuming a lot of calories sometimes <laughs> in places that Dr. Ian would not go. <laughs> Considering how busy you keep yourself, where do you find the time to write? You know, I love writing and writing to me is not work. Um, it's not um, it's not a great expenditure of energy in the sense of, oh, my goodness, I got to write for four hours. To me, it's therapeutic. It's meditative. Uh, it's passionate. It's fun. So I don't. I feel like I'm sitting on doing so I write all hours. I write a lot at late at night or very early in the morning when most of the world is asleep uh, and things are quiet. That's just a great time for me just to get to my computer and just let it flow. That being said, I write anywhere. I can write on a plane. I can write, you know, in a back of a restaurant. I can write in a car. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm one of those writers that uh, I find inspiration everywhere. I really like to write. The libraries are closed, but I like to write uh, in the stacks of the university um, it's just so quiet. And when I was a college student, I used to like to study uh, in the Harvard stacks. And so uh, I like to go to nearby universities and write in those stacks. So what's next for you? What's next for Ash? So um, book two is done and ready. Um, it's working title is called Wolf Point. Um, and Ash is going to take on a really great case. It's a case of a uh, president of the Chicago um, school board. Uh, who is found half-submerged in the Chicago River of what appears to be suicide, apparent suicide. But his kids go to Ash Kane and said, our dad would never kill himself. Tell us and find out what happened. And there you go.
That sounds like an excellent tease. We're going to leave it there for readers. In the meantime, they can read The Unspoken. Ian Smith, thank you for joining us today to talk about it. Thank you so much. Hey, listen, he has a um, he has a Instagram handle. So my handle is at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out. But his handle is I am Ash Kane, A-S-H-E-C-A-Y-N-E, if you want to see some of Ash Kane, Chicago. I think that's the first character in a book that has its own Twitter handle that I've spoken to the author. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I thought it would be a creative way to get people to kind of check out how he sees Chicago. And a little bit of traveling while we can't really travel too much, right? There you go. I'll bring the city to you. <laughs> and that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time, we feature a book that's tailor-made for the pandemic, adults and kids alike. Until then, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Cherkovich.